Hello. Uh, it's always a wonderful thing to come back to Boise, Idaho. I knew nothing about Boise until I met your pastor in Russia, and I've already been here four times, and it feels like coming home. I look out over this group of people, and I see so many faces. Oh, I just saw some right there. <laughs> uh, so many faces that I've seen on the other side of the ocean or I've met when I've been here. And so I just want to say in the beginning, thank you so much for your relationship with me and with the work in Russia for all of these years. I have the privilege to know the people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ over there and know you, and uh, it's, it's a great privilege, and I thank you for your support and your prayers over all these years. Normally, I come back here, and I am here to talk about our relationship with Russia and what we've been doing, what we're going to be doing, and this year's a little bit different for me because uh, about a year ago, I made a very really a, a gut-wrenching decision to take a step back from Russia for a period of time, to take a step back from the, uh, the uh, mission to pursue a master's degree. So I'm actually back in the States now for a period of time. I'll be here for two to three years, depending on how fast I can do it or um, how slow I need to do it. We'll see how that goes. But all of that decision is really driven by 17 years of overseas ministry and just feeling like I need more. I need more tools. I need more education. I need more to keep going. And so uh, I cover your prayers for that. It's a big transition for me to come back here and get a job and study and figure out life here that I haven't done for a couple of decades. I haven't, I haven't been a permanent resident of America for two decades, so it's a different world, and that's where I'm headed. But you still have a relationship with Russia, as do I, and even in this time of being in the States, I really um, will be continuing relationships with people and continuing to be concerned about what's going on there. So I do want to tell you about uh, the things that have been going on and um, on a lot of people's minds, when you hear Russia right now, uh, it, you instantly go to some questions about the war. I'll talk a little bit about how that's affecting the church, but I also just want to say, if you have any questions that you'd like you know, my opinion on, we can absolutely talk after the service, but I'm not going to talk a lot about that here because I want to focus on what God's doing in the church and what the church is doing in the circumstance that they're in. <clears throat> so you see a, a bunch of pictures up there, and some of those are ministries that you're familiar with. Um, there's a picture of an English club. There's a picture of a small group, and you are familiar with camp ministries in Russia. Those things are still going on. Some of them have been modified in some ways. Some of them are chugging along just the way that they've always been. And so keep praying for those. Those are great opportunities to make contact with people outside the church, to have opportunities to share the gospel with people, and great opportunities for the church to learn to reach out to the people around them. Uh, but there's two pictures up there that are something new or changed. And in the bottom corner, you see uh, my face with some ladies. And well, there's more than just ladies there, but a group of people behind me. That is an art ministry that has been started in the last year or so. Uh, some people in our church, we have several art teachers in our church, and they just came uh, to me and said, you know, we have this talent. How can we use it to reach people for Christ? Great question. I love that question. And so we developed this ministry similar to English Club, taking an interest that will get people into the doors and an opportunity for us to share with them what's important to us. So we had um, a little bit of um, a Bible verse or a testimony or something at the beginning, but it was also an opportunity to get the church even more active in inviting their friends and neighbors um, to come to something at the church, to hear about Christ, and then to develop that relationship further. And we've had some great relationships come out of that. Please pray for that ministry. There's some people who have been key in it, who have had to leave or step back for a variety of reasons, some of which you can probably guess. And uh, so we're not sure how that's going to continue. But for the relationships and for the ministry itself, I'd ask you to pray. It's been a great outreach for the church there. Uh, in a time when that is hard, COVID was a challenge for all of us, right? And one place that COVID really impacted uh, our ministry is in orphan ministry. Uh, since COVID hit, we have not been able to go into any orphanages. Uh, the doors are shut and they do not let anybody in. It's not against us. It's just a blanket rule. 
And so we're waiting for that opportunity to open up. But presently, the only ministry we can have with orphans is with the graduates that we've known throughout the years that we've been going to the orphanages. And you see a girl up in the corner there holding a piece of paper. That is one of those graduates. Her name is Irina, and she uh, actually came to an Emmanuel's Child event when she was 12 years old with a group of kids from her orphanage. And we've known her ever since. Jim actually met her at that first Emmanuel's Child, and uh, we've had a relationship with her through the years while she was in the orphanage, and now that she's out. She's uh, 26, and she got her apartment. That's what she's holding is the deed to the apartment that the government gives her. And Irina is a person that's very angry with, with God that she grew up without her mother and father. So she lived with me for the last six months I was in Russia, and that was a great opportunity to help her see the way that God's caring for her, even if it doesn't look the way she thought it should look, right? But she's a classic example of the ministry that is ongoing with kids that have grown up in the orphanage. It doesn't end the day they leave the orphanage. They have needs and they have struggles and they have nobody to walk alongside them with those needs and struggles. So as you think about the orphanage ministry, even though we're not going in the orphanages, please continue to pray for those kids. We have relationships with quite a few of them, and depending on what they want or allow, those can be every now and then, they, or they can be regular. They can be very close, or they can be a little bit distant. So just pray that we'll have more chances to share the gospel with them, help them through these life moments, and that they will grow in that and grow to come to know the only name that can save, right? We, we sang that in the song. I love that line. Uh, you know, what I just showed you are a lot of programs, and programs are great. We all need programs. We all have programs, but the point of programs is the people, right? So I want to tell you about a couple of people who have come through some of the programs that you just saw, and that there's ministry going forward with them. The first lady you see there... Uh, standing with me. Her name is Mila, or Ludmila, and she's an English teacher, <clears throat> excuse me, who began going to our English club, and then went to our art club, and then uh, just, uh, got, uh, we, we became friends, she and I, and we've had lots of opportunities to talk. She comes from an, a typical Russian sort of background, Orthodox, um, but Orthodox where she doesn't really know a lot about it. And so we just had a phone call actually last week where Mila told me that she was really glad. I never tried to talk her out of being Orthodox. I don't, uh, don't try to talk anybody out of that. I'd rather tell them what I want to talk them into, not what I want to talk them out of, right? So we don't, we don't even go down that road, but we've talked about the Bible and about God. And so she said, you know, I know there's this thing called the Bible. I have one, but uh, I just don't understand it when I read it. Mm -hmm. Open door. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I said, well, if you want to, we can read that together and we can talk about it. And she's like, oh, could we? Uh, that's perfect. Those are the kind of opportunities that I, I dream about and I hope for and I've ha seen so many happen over the last 15 years. And so we're going to continue. Even though I'm here and we have a time difference uh, against us, we have this wonderful world of technology, good and bad, right? But this is good that allows me to have contact with her on a regular basis. And so I'd ask you to pray for that. Pray as we, as we meet once a week and read the Bible that even though we have obstacles of distance and time, that God will open up his word to her and that it will um, show her who he is and what he's done. And it's a similar story with the girl in the middle. Her name is Lisa or Lisa. And I've known her since she was 12, also through an English club ministry. We read uh, through Mark together that same way during COVID. She was stuck at home. I was stuck at home. And she said she wants to do this. And Boy, that girl has got some questions, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, we read through the whole book, and there were so many questions. Um, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful, but it was challenging to me. And now she's decided she wants to do some more. So those are both relationships that are good examples of why we do things like English Club and Art Club and all these sort of programmy events. It's to get to the hearts and minds of the people that are choosing to come. And then we have the opportunities to share even more, more than just uh, what we can share in a large group, but one-on-one but -on -one individually. The last girl up there is uh, a lovely girl named Lama, and she is actually an Egyptian girl who has moved to Russia to study to be a doctor. 
It's actually a very common thing right now in Russia. They have advertised themselves quite widely in the Middle East and in Africa for students that want to leave their home country to study, but they can't really afford to go to the US or to Europe. Those are pretty expensive uh, ventures, but they can afford to get to Russia. So we have been inundated with international students and as I said, from Africa and from the Middle East. So from the Middle East, that means that we're getting a lot of Muslim students. And Lama lived with me for, I think, about a year. And she is a dear, dear girl. And we've had so many wonderful conversations, hard conversations, because uh, you know, Muslims do not rep recognize Jesus as God. So you know, we, we get right down to the nitty gritty, the most important parts of the authority of scripture and the identity of Christ, and those are not easy conversations, but it, it, it almost grew our, our friendship together to have them. And she's one of a group of students that we had a 13-week Bible study with them, uh, going through the Bible and talking about the identity of Christ as God. Uh, I ask you to pray for those students. Pray for the people who are still there uh, working with them. Pray for the relationships that continue uh, for me and for others. They have been, they have left their home and come to a place where they can encounter those ideas that they never encountered at home. And there were lots of revelatory moments for them in our conversations, but they uh, still don't understand who Christ is. So I ask you to pray for that. And <clears throat> uh, I, t I said I would talk about what's going on in Russia right now. Uh, it is a concern because all of these ministries are going on, but going on in a very different environment than we've had in the past, as you can imagine. Uh, on your screen is that brother that Jim was talking about that designed your banner outside. His name is Andre. This is him with his wife, his mother-in-law, and one of his three children. Uh, Andre is a pastor of our church in Tambov, and he is uh, a guy who served in the military when he was young and then decided that that was not the life he wanted. So he hasn't been in the military for probably whew, probably 20 years, but that service puts him at the top of the mobilization list. list. So it shows you the concerns that he has. I, I talked to him after they announced the mobilization. I called him, and I asked him if this affects him, and he said, yeah, my wife and I are praying about what's the best thing to do if they call me up. Do I go to the army and preach the gospel there, or do I go to prison and preach the gospel there? Because those are the choices. It's, uh, it's a hard choice to imagine. Andre is also the guy who told me he was planting more potatoes because he, he anticipates that there's not going to be a lot of food on the shelves soon. Uh, right now, those are not problems in Russia, but they are... They are looking at that. They are anticipating that because they see what's going on. They have found themselves in a situation that they have no ability to affect, really. And many of them are absolutely heartbroken about what their country is doing, but they have no ability to affect those decisions. And so Russians are very good at surviving many, many difficult circumstances. And I'd ask you to pray. Pray for your brothers and sisters who have found themselves in this position. As much as we need to pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia, I would say, um, well, I don't know if even more so is correct, but also pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. Uh, I spent two years in Ukraine at the beginning of my time overseas, and I actually was in Ukraine in February, right before Putin sent the troops over the border. So um, my heart goes out to them. Uh, last spring, well, I guess, yeah, last spring, I was involved in uh, an, an op, um, sort of a project to get uh, bulletproof vests to the pastors of the churches in Kharkiv, because that's the way the reality they live in now. For them to go and make sure that their uh, their people have food and water, that their people are still alive and cared for, that they have a place to live, they get in a van every day, they put on their bulletproof vest, and they drive around the city. They've gone through three vans the group that we sent these vests to, because the other two have sh been shot up so much that you can't drive them anymore. So imagine if that's your reality. And there are some people who have left the country. I'd ask you to pray for them. They're finding themselves in new cultures, new places, new uh, circumstances. Ask them to be, or pray for them to be faithful in those circumstances as a witness for Christ and to make wise decisions. And pray for the ones that are staying behind because they are finding themselves in unimaginable circumstances that 
they don't have any effect over. They just have to figure out a way to survive it and to be faithful to Christ in it. And I'd ask you to pray for the, the other foreigners who are staying there right now. Uh, there are still some foreigners who are able to stay in the country for the time being. Uh, they are all trying their best to continue serving Christ as long as they can in that surroundings, continuing to lift up the name of Jesus so that more people know, even in the midst of this really horrible circumstance. And I'd ask you to pray for me as I'm beginning this new stage. Um, it's it's a, a complete switch in life, <laughs> and uh, it, I'm very excited for it, but it is a challenge for sure. And uh, just, let's see, and for your brothers and sisters in Christ that are still in Russia, they'd remain faithful, and they'd have wisdom to make wise decisions. So I just want to say thank you for your relationship with me and with Russia. You have been a blessing to me, and I thank you for your support all these years. And, um, yeah, thank you for all that you've done and that you will do in this wonderful country with these wonderful people. And before Laura comes, we're going to have a time of prayer for, uh, for Jenny. I knew she was unique when I met her, but I'll give you just a little bit of insight. You know, she came here last Saturday night. She came to our house on Monday. We're going to put her on an airplane tomorrow. She will have finished a third of first-year Greek this week, okay? So just pray I don't mess her up too badly uh, along the way, but uh, we're going to really miss this part of your life and look forward to the next one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful goodness to us. This, this relationship with the body of Christ halfway around the world is so amazing. And thank you for using Jenny for these last 15 years to be part of the catalyst that makes it possible for us to stay connected. And now there are lifelong relationships where eternity is our common focus. Uh, thank you for her time here. Bless her and encourage her in the new phase of her life. Please bring these people to the Lord. I think of, of Lama and uh, Irina and Lisa. Just, Father, you know their needs. Please open their hearts and thank you for bringing into their lives these faithful brothers and sisters whom we commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to all you guys. My name is Laura Toulson. And um, Jenny and I apparently have the common theme of 15 years. So uh, you guys as a church have been supporting the ministry in Vanuatu for 15 years now. It's amazing that it's been that long. But um, just wanted to let you, you guys know how much uh, I appreciate that. It's, it's not just me serving over there. Uh, this, is, this is the team that I serve with. You guys are familiar with the uh, ones in the middle, or maybe. Uh, I was here with my sister's family. They're the ones in the middle there. My sister's got kind of the star dress on. Um, it's easy to tell because we look exactly the same. So that's how you know. <laughs> so, and then that's her husband standing next to her, and then her um, son there behind, who's actually much taller than that already, and the two girls, and then the, the boy in the middle at the bottom is their youngest. So they were here with me in June or July, and we were able to share in Scott's Sunday school uh, one Sunday morning. And so uh, we surf together, and then we've got teammates from New Jersey that are there on the left, and then their two boys are flanking my nephew there. So um, it's been a blessing to serve overseas all these years, and um, Jenny and I have never crossed paths in all these years, so I was really excited to get to meet her this time of being back. So um, just thank you guys for, as Jim put it, the tentacles that you have out throughout the world in serving the Lord and the way that you make that possible. So I guess that makes me one of the tentacles, which is a very lovely thing to be compared to. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, if, if most of you probably, unless you're familiar with the ministry, have not heard of the country of Vanuatu. It's a tiny, tiny little place. And it's in the South Pacific there. So the, the orange map there is showing you where it is in the world. Straight east of uh, Brisbane, Australia. Uh, straight north of New Zealand. And we're southeast of Papua New Guinea. Our people look a lot like our similar ethnicity to Papua New Guineans. If you're familiar with Papua New Guineans from, or Papuans from National Geographic or something like that. 
So this is the um, a not very pretty picture of the 83 islands of Vanuatu. And I work primarily on the one in the middle called Ambrim. It's, uh, it's shaped a bit like a Hershey kiss. Um, and this, is, this picture doesn't show, it's sort of a blob on that map, but uh, it's shaped like a Hershey kiss on a map typically, but also um, just in, we've got two active volcanoes in the center, so people live around the outside uh, edges of Ambrim. So that's where I'm located. I have started in the last year to base from the capital city, and that's the little star there um, that says Port Vila. And uh, from there, I'm able to continue to minister. I've had some health issues, and so it's been better for me to base from there. But I do go about four times a year, four or five times a year to Ambrim and run some workshops there. So this is just a picture that shows a bit about what it looks like in the village where we work. Uh, the language group that we're working in is about 5,000 people, and they're spread out over about just over 100 villages. And so we have the most impact in this particular one. And so this just shows you kind of um, typically, or when we first moved there, they were living in more of the thatched houses that you see at the top. And people are, a lot of times the men are going and working as migrant workers in Australia. And they're making money to come back then and, and build a cinder block house. And so that's what you see in the corner there. So that was the, the one and only cinder block in the house in the village when we moved there, and we lived in that. And so they, they gave us the, the best of the crop while we built our own house. So that was, that was pretty nice. This is a picture of the, the nitty-gritty of what I do. It's about 60% of my time is spent doing Bible translation. And so that shows you the top right there, the screen that I'm looking at most of the time. So I've got... Uh, the language that we're working in is in the bottom there. Um, I can read you the verse that's highlighted there. It's just, it's not a particular, I didn't particularly choose this. I just happened to take a screenshot of what I was working on at the time. So that says, so this is just saying Jesus told a parable about, this is from Luke. What is it? So small. <laughs> it's a parable from Luke about a man that um, had, a, had a big feast. And so uh, that's, that's this particular passage. My brother-in-law and I share the translation work, and we have some local people that help us. These are some of the people that I work with when I'm in the capital city, in the picture there. And for me, uh, my brother-in-law, Houghton, spends pretty much 100% of his time doing translation. I'm about 60% of my time doing that. And this, this man in the wheelchair is my incredibly faithful helper, he and his wife, who's standing behind him. And he, uh, if you think of him, his name is Hare. You can, like, you can just say Harry. That might be easier to pronounce and for you to remember, but... Um, it is a language word that means a special type of basket, but just think of Harry and you'll be fine. So he's uh, a very uncomplaining person that um, got a disease, basically like a full body stroke, uh, Guillain-Barre disease, and he, um, he's very uncomplaining about his situation and he credits God with basically afflicting him with this so that he's able to help with Bible translation. He um, is an incredible person, and his wife is incredible as well. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, that's their grandson, and then a nephew, kind of, I don't totally understand the relationship with the other guy there. But um, they gave me that mirror as a gift when I got my Vanuatu citizenship, and so that was really special. And they were very embarrassed when I cried when they gave it to me. <laughs> I don't think they knew what to do with me when I did that, but um, this is just at the property that they, they've been staying on there. And um, so that's, that's the translation piece. We, we have done um, all of the Gospels and Acts are complete at this point. We hope to print those uh, before we go back overseas, if we can. And we also have, for Old Testament, we've finished Genesis, Exodus, um, Jonah, Esther, Ruth. Um, we have first drafts of Psalms and Proverbs. And we have about a thousand other verses that help with kind of teaching creation to Christ that have been translated. 
So um, we hope, with, we don't plan at this point to do any more of the Old Testament, but if people are, you know, our, our, our locals are saying that they really want it, then we, we're happy to continue with that. But we do plan to keep that, that part of the Old Testament and then to, to finish the new. And uh, Lord willing, if we continue at the pace that we're going at and continue to have the faithful helpers that we currently have, we hope to finish Bible translation in about three years. And these are, I just brought a few things along with me that we have produced there. This was the very first thing that we did. This is a, a family story Bible. And um, you guys can pray with me that I can find a good printer. This, we had this printed in Sri Lanka. These cost us $5 a piece with this final cover. $5 a piece to have them printed, bound, and shipped right to our village. And I can't find anything remotely close to that anymore. Um, and so I'm looking at just for shipping. For I have a, a, a big literacy book that I'm wanting to print. I'm looking at just shipping um, being $10,000. <laughs> so um, we've put that on hold for the last year and a half. But um, yeah, so you can, you can pray with me that we find someone that can do that. But, so this is, the, this is just a, a paraphrased story Bible with a picture. And then something that's been a, 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 a difficulty in Vanuatu is literacy. These are my people that are helping me with my literacy program at the time. I spend probably 40% of my time doing literacy. And I'd like to get some more adult classes going. But at the moment, uh, the adults that you see mostly with the purple shirts on there, they're my volunteers that are teaching in seven different villages. At the moment, they're teaching children. And so I've given them a curriculum to use and lesson plans and um, some supplies that they can use. You guys are helping with, have helped with that. And so I appreciate that. The Crohn's uh, used some of the money that you guys donated to collect school supplies. So I'll go back to this picture of the housing here. The school in our village, um, this, this top right picture, is a picture of a local kitchen or cooking house. And so you can see just dirt floors. We've got black soil there because of the volcanoes. And so that's basically what our school looks like. So they've got dirt floor, um, rickety chairs, sometimes a desk or a table to sit at. Um, but these teachers teaching these literacy classes don't have paper, they don't have pens, they don't have um, you know, whiteboards, they have nothing. So we've been slowly trying to supply them with things, and thanks to you guys, we'll be able to ship over some, some more supplies. And so every time I pass them something, they're just delighted and amazed that um, people like you would care enough to provide them with those things. And the reason that we spend so much time with literacy is because this language and most others in the world that still don't have uh, God's word in their language are unwritten languages. So what that meant was that when we went into the village, we sat with people that were just hanging out and said, okay, today teach me about food. Today teach me about travel. And so we just learned the language orally in that way. And then we developed an alphabet and we've been teaching the people to read their own language. So it tends to be that People my age and older say, Laura, I'm too old to learn how to read. And I say, no, you're not. You can do it. This is your own language. You can do this. But we are focusing on children at the moment because they're more willing. They're picking it up quickly. And so we hope to at least see the next generation of people literate. And because God did give us his word as a book, and we do want people to study it. And so that's difficult. So one thing that we, some things that we've done to accommodate the lack of desire to read, is that we use these devices. We charge people uh, about $3 for these. They cost about $20. But there's an organization that subsidizes that for us. And we do ask people to give a little bit of money when we, when we do things like this story Bible and this device, uh, just so that it has some value. And people are able to afford that, so that's not a, a hardship for them. And so this is, we, when we complete a book of the Bible, we have a good reader in the language read that book, and then we put it on this device. And so they're able to just listen. It's very simple. It's just a few buttons. 
we teach them how to use it. And it's incredible, particularly older people, um, some of which can't see very well. Um, healthcare is not very common there. Um, we see them listening to this. I have a lot, a lot of old ladies that tell me, oh, Laura, I couldn't sleep last night, so I turned on my device and I listened to Mark or I listened to Genesis or whatever. And that's encouraging to hear. And then we've just come up with a comic. This is one of four. We've split Genesis into four books. And we have word-for-word -word Genesis in comic book form. And so that's been, um, we're hoping, a good way to encourage people, entice people into reading. And so we, and when we do print books of the Bible, we're trying to put at least two illustrations in each chapter just to help pull that visual piece. Unfortunately, Jehovah Witnesses are very active. In Vanuatu, they have a beautiful full-color Bible that people just pour over, spend hours and hours looking at that. And so that's been sort of our idea in coming up with some of these tools. And this is just, we're just sort of seeing. We also give, of course, just full print um, books of the Bible once we finish them too. So another thing in this picture here that you'll see kids sitting on the floor and I'm on the plastic chair behind. And so something that I do in classrooms is I'm trying to get classroom teachers. This is obviously a nicer school. These guys had some Australia money to build this school. Cement floor, cement walls, and actual windows. And um, the teacher's there sitting on the floor in a, a kind of a shiny brown shirt. And so I go into some of these classrooms with teachers that are willing to use our language curriculum. And I do model teaching. So I've had some of these teachers say, Laura, you've put workshops on for us, but we don't know how to apply this in our classrooms. And so this is something that I've tried to spend more time doing when I'm there as well. Just going into their classroom, just teaching one lesson. I teach a devotion from the Story Bible to model how to use that as a, as a devotional. And fortunately in Vanuatu, there's no barriers to using God's Word in, in the classroom setting. And so um, that's something I'm able to show. And I've had teachers give good feedback that, oh, now I know how to do that. I know, I know how to teach these lessons. I know how to use the Bible stuff that you guys are giving us in my classroom setting. So that's been nice. And um, just lastly, I just want to thank you guys so much for your prayers, your support. Um, I want to encourage you guys with your kids and grandkids to be um, just teaching them to have a mindset of what God's doing throughout the world. Um, we would love to see more people sent out from Heritage, Heritage Church, just that some of your kids are coming. We'd love to have you come visit us. And we've had um, the Crones have come over. And we'd love to have more of you come and see us to see what the ministry is like, to see what we're doing over there, and to be ambassadors for us when you come back here too. Sometimes it's hard for us to communicate because we've lived there a while what it's like. But um, when you come over and see it, you're able to come back and share that excitement. And so um, just want to encourage you guys in that to not hold your kids tightly, to let them come into the world and be involved in these ministries and um, to be a light uh, in the communities that they're in as well. So um, Eric is going to come and, and pray for the, the ministries in Vanuatu. And um, again, just thank you guys so much for your faithfulness over these years. Thank you, Laura. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for bringing Laura to us today and for, for this update that she was able to provide this morning. Thank you for your spirit that works within Laura, Houghton, Gretchen, Josiah, Gwen, Addie, and Caden, strengthening them and enabling them in their service to you, their devotion to your word, and their love for the people of North Ambram and Vanuatu. Father, we lift up their Wycliffe partners that serve within their language group, as well as the other translators, ministry workers, and administrators throughout the country. Thank you for the local Nivanuatu people that work with Wycliffe on language development, literacy training, and Bible translation. We pray that you would continue to raise up disciples for this work that lies before this team. Father, we pray that the, the timing and the logistics of returning to Vanuatu would be made clear. We pray that borders would be open, the threat of pandemics and lockdowns would subside, and that you would grant your wisdom as Laura and her team plan their next steps. We especially lift up the Richards family as they consider their timing uh, against the, their children uh, entering college. 
Father, thank you for providing for their physical and financial needs while they serve you, and we pray that you will continue to raise up people to support their work, both financially and in prayer. Above all, Father, we pray that you would use this work to bring many to faith in you and that you would grow your church among the people of Vanuatu. Father, we rejoice in this work and, and the commitment to your great commission, and we give you all the praise and all the glory because only you are worthy, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. You know, I want to encourage you that as our service concludes in a few minutes, that you take opportunity and come and speak to these amazing gals and the work that the Lord's doing in and through them. Think about what it would be like to pick up and go to a country that is completely contrary to your ideologies and perspectives as a woman and to work in a ministry there to try to help establish and build the church and to see establishment of English camps and of all sorts of different ministries to orphans and to others. This is the work that we're seeing and that Jenny has been doing and that the fruit of which is continuing to be wrought out in projects like we're participating in, like Emmanuel's child. It's exciting and you need to talk to her more about what God's doing in that ministry and what he's going to continue to do in her life. And, and to think about going to uh, a country where they don't have any written material. To be able to listen to conversation and to develop an alphabet. And then to take that alphabet and put it into a language and words. And then to translate scripture to it. Wow. I mean, that, that blows my mind. It's beyond what I can consider. And yet this is the work that uh, Laura is faithfully engaged with along with the Richards. And you need to talk to these gals and understand more about their passion for Christ, about all that they desire to see the Lord do in their lives in the days ahead, that that might be an encouragement for you. Because wherever we are in our place in this earth and in this church, God has a role for you in missions. And you need to understand that. And whether it is as, uh, I believe it was the supporters of William Carey said, we'll be there to hold the rope in prayer while you go in. That's what we have to do. And it's exciting to see how God's continuing to do that. And I'm so thankful for the work of these ladies and their time with us today. Well, I want to give you a short overview of what I did in Mexico and Kenya. It is going to be short. It is going to be way more slides than they have because they're good at this and I'm not. And so get ready for a plethora. We may pick this up on a Wednesday night and try and give you a little deeper dive. But for now, we want to examine some aspects of Kenya. I've broken this into a quick overview video and then some slides of the people, the places, and the preaching. You know, as a pastor, what could I do but come up with three points? And we won't have a poem at the end, but nonetheless. Here is uh, an idea of the perspective and an overview video that was made by Spread of Grace Ministries, who I went with uh, to these two wonderful countries. Scott, what do you think so far, Scott? Wow, so gorgeous. <laughs> Today, everybody's getting in on the action, helping our students to understand uh, how to study, how to prepare sermons. Uno, dos, tres. These are the books that we bought for the folks in Mexico, so thank you. Chris Kringle. <laughs> I, I think he's like, he's like Uncle Scott. Yeah, really, really long table for dinner. Sort of uh, sitting around tonight after a long day, getting to know one another, just, just enjoying fellowship together. Hola. <laughs> so we're walking down uh, after a hard day of uh, training in the rain. As usual, every time that I visit Qualtempan, it rains. And... Uh, <laughs> How's it feel up there, guys? How's the climate? 
I don't think the hard stuff's gonna come down for a long time. <laughs> we thought we were gonna lose Jeanette up there to laughter a few minutes ago, but she's still with us. <laughs> mama brought all of our bags back for us. Gracias, Mama, por su ayuda. Si, las much. Brother Scott, how do you feel like things are going? I think they're going really well. I think people are starting to really get the sense of what we're teaching, how you go through the process of coming up with a sermon, and how to take it from the Bible. So to be able to really give them the tools to come through the process of developing a sermon is, I think, really helpful. And they seem to really be grasping. So um, Lance is actually over here right now, uh, working with this group really, really hard. Carlos is alongside of him, translating for this group right here. Uh, six groups in the room that are working. Uh, really hard. On a uh, sermon from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, a really powerful prayer that we might know the, the heights and depths and width and breadth to know the love of Christ. If I'm being honest, I have never heard this group so loud before in their uh, effort to wrestle with the scriptures. So this is pretty exciting for me to see. And I hope you're excited too. So we've made it finally to Kasumu and now we've got a two hour drive. We're with Moses, he's driving. How you feeling there, Scott? <laughs> These roads are crazy. Scott back there and I have finally met up with the brothers here in Goma. Jimmy has them working already. He did not draw attention to himself. Rather, he gave all glory to God. We must do this as preachers and teachers of God's will. How did it go today, fellas? It was very good. Very repentant. Very yearning for the world. Somebody finally decided to arrive today. We have been illuminated, we've been shown the way forward on how we can be able to teach the Bible to the congregation. First of all, I want to thank God to have introduced SGM ministry in Kenya. In fact, this is the opportunity in Kenya that we were waiting for, we were longing for, because many doctrines, false doctrines are rampant in our country. I'm so much blessed because it has taught me how to go deeper in what, like ex-Jesus. We have to study the Bible verse by verse and let the word speak, let the scripture speak. To be able to pick a text, say what they are saying, say what it means, what is the Lord telling them. We should not question God's word, we are questioning God. have just reached uh, the area near Seth's home. We're going to the church right now and we're about to begin preaching. And as Moses looked up the serpent into the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God has prepared you a meal and this is meat. We are just finishing up. We're heading back for some rest and then we start again tomorrow. Uh, this is kind of like our last day. It is our last day. And we're about to, to go back to the church here in the slum. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. God's highest motivation in our salvation is
So our slides now will be kind of a mix. We'll start in Mexico and then move to Kenya, and you'll see sort of a mix of those. Uh, incidentally, the shirt that I'm wearing was given to me on a previous trip to Africa, and that wrap that you saw me in earlier was not because the heat was not working in first service, but uh, they had given that to us as we finished preaching in the slums. So a few pictures of the people. This is our team in Mexico. Lance, uh, Mike, who's the director of Spread of Grace Ministries, our translator, Jeanette, her mother, uh, widowed about 10 years earlier at a very young age, and her sister, who just a week before we arrived, lost her first child. And here they are, all coming out to minister and care for us and help us to get on with the ministry. Carlos on the right is another one of our translators, sweet, sweet man. Uh, this is me with those kids that you saw earlier. I had a, a smartwatch on and they wanted to press every button and they did. I didn't think it would ever work again, but like kids, they got it functioning. So I was thankful, but uh, it did earn me the name Chris Kringle. Um, not really sure how to take that, but so be it. Here we are at the end of our training, a uh, wonderful group. Moving on to Kenya, this is in front of the church there. This is uh, Jimmy, who is, was saved about a month uh, from when I was saved. He's a few years younger. He was saved in a Ugandan prison. He was a Somalian freedom fighter and uh, has come to know the Lord and is just a, a powerful witness for the scripture, part of the teaching team now, and a man whom I miss dearly, James, another man from Uganda, both pastors there doing some amazing work. Here are the kids that uh, Mike ran into and a short little video, uh, how I found my way into the kids' hearts in Kenya through Tootsie Pops. How are the sweets? Awesome. Yes. You like the sweets? Yeah. Do we all love Pastor Scott with the sweets? Yeah. You love Pastor Scott? Say, we love Pastor Scott. We love Pastor Scott. Woo. Mike said he really took one for the team there because he was covered with slobber from all the kids' Tootsie Pops as they spoke. <laughs> this is a picture Sunday after church. We each got to preach in one of the local churches with one of the prominent pastors there and uh, a very, very special time. Here's a picture of us at the conclusion of the ministry. Notice how the kids just plopped themselves right up front like they were part of the whole program. Uh, very special. Here we are uh, heading into the slums, uh, uh, Pastor Seth's church, and another gentleman who wanted to join us in the discussion. Some of the places that we saw in Mexico, this is the airport in Puebla, Mexico, about six and a half hours south of Mexico City. Here we have the uh, volcano that they call Poco. Uh, the, the elevation of Puebla is about 8,000 feet above sea level making Poco about 16,000 feet. So it's big. And we are up in the air there and stunningly beautiful. One of the big problems in Mexico is Catholicism. This is a church about halfway between Puebla and where we ministered. Uh, this church and this particular statue of Mary and the Christ child is about 50 feet tall. It's one of the most atrocious abominations of idolatry that I have ever personally witnessed. That thing is all over this region of Mexico because of its ornate nature. And this is exactly what we're going in to try to help them understand. This town that this church is in is called Chippewagan, And they also, for their major income, they make Christmas balls. Here's a little video about that. Scout, what do you, what'd you, <laughs> what'd you find there, buddy? <laughs> what are you taking? It's a Christmas ornament. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder where they're going to go. Where are we going to put this? All right, he's out of control. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. See, I bought those because Lance thought he was buying one ball, ended up with a big bag, and I, he said, we have an extra suitcase. So I said, all right, I'll buy a few Christmas balls. Well, three of them died on the way to Africa. Note to self, don't buy Christmas balls in Mexico before you go to Africa and then come back to Idaho. 
We had one that survived. I was carefully guarding all the way back from Africa, back to Washington, D.C. and to Salt Lake. Carefully put it in the overhead between two soft items, which the stewardess came by and threw a bag on top of and slammed the door, and we all heard it go... The street tacos were better than any I've ever had. I swore I wasn't going to eat the food, didn't want to risk getting sick before a two-week trip to Africa. I couldn't pass it up. Phenomenal. Beautiful area. You actually had to go down out of Puebla to get into the mountains. Somewhat like a rainforest. We're at about 5,000 feet there. Stunning surrounding. Here a picture of the surroundings of the church that we ministered at. And again, it rained about every day. And from there, we're in the air and off towards Africa. And this is Qatar or Qatar, as you might think it was pronounced. And I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But a very interesting and unique place. From there to Kenya and the Nairobi airport and onward for another plane to Western Africa, one of the dormant volcanoes. You can see some of the uh, smoke in the crater. Beyond it, you'll note Lake Victoria, one of the largest lakes in Africa and the edge of the Serengeti, Serengeti Animal Preserve. They have lights and horns around that area to keep the lions out of town. You don't go cruising around at night. Here is a picture of some of the area of Kenya, so beautiful. Africa is a very poor continent, as you know. Kenya has been very wise in giving deeds of land to the individual families so that they can farm it and either raise food and or uh, cash crops like coffee. And they take very good use of it. If you look carefully, you see each of the little parcels that are uh, in those hills. This is a picture of Lake Victoria and the hippo breeding ground, largest in the world there on the left. They come in about one in the morning and they make a sound somewhere between a cow and a pig. And it's the most amazing sound. I woke up going, wow, what is that? And uh, very, very neat. We tried to get a view of them, but uh, we couldn't. They had the gate closed and they told us, you know, the next day a lot of people have been trampled trying to get out too close. So best you were in the gate. This is as we headed into the slums for the preaching, uh, that about 10 foot wide dirt street is the center of this whole community. Um, several tens of thousands of people living here. Another picture of that. Uh, I see the traditional dress that I was wearing earlier on this young lady, both men and women. The homes are built of cardboard, of tin, of whatever they can find. In case you wanted a nice room here, they have a hotel as well. And that's no joke. That is a hotel and uh, not a place probably that you would want to get a room. We did not have to stay there. We were at another location. But this is the existence for these folks. As for the preaching component back in Mexico, it was a delightful time and uh, working with these folks. Interesting that there were six men who came to the teaching time from a village six hours away standing in the back of a Toyota pickup. And there, for them, they are tribal people and Spanish is not their first language. Some of them barely read and write, and it was very interesting to see how they progressed through this ministry. Lance doing some teaching there. The group right in the front center is that those men from that, those two tribal regions. Two different languages, actually, too, spoken amongst those men. Here's Mike doing a little teaching in Spanish. He learned Spanish over the last four years and is now teaching in it. Recuerda, uh, hermano Lance. Learning a language is very interesting and challenging, as many of you have tried and know. Mike has not only learned it, but he's preaching in it in such a short time and really exciting to see the way the Lord's worked in that ministry. Here is the folks that we bought the, uh, the Holman Illustrated Dictionaries for, and uh, many of these only have Bibles. And so to give them a resource like this was tremendous, and they were very excited about it. We used it throughout the teaching time to help them find the background for the church at Ephesus and how important that was in preparing a sermon as we went through Ephesians. 
Ephesians. Lance working with the group, the gentleman in the center, one of the few seminary trained pastors who told us on several occasions that he had no idea how to really prepare a sermon and barely even understood Bible study. So a very important ministry. Here's uh, the Spanish version of some of the things we were teaching them and the English version here giving them an idea of how to come up with the passage summary, how to come up with points from the text, how then to put in application and illustration to each of those points to put the flesh and, uh, and bones together into a sermon. Here we are in Africa and uh, Jimmy is doing some teaching here and uh, very exciting to see that going forth. Here we're broken up into groups and speaking with the folks, and they're working in their areas. Lance was late getting to Africa. His visa had a mistake on it, and he couldn't get on the plane. So he arrived two days later. But as you can see, he was quickly into the middle of things. And it was a blessing to have him there. Uh, this is uh, me doing some teaching, which you saw earlier. Uh, Mike is definitely getting into it here, and his translator, Godfrey, wonders if he's going to explode. And uh, it was really great. I got to preach at Godfrey's church and he and his wife are just uh, beloved and dear friends already. Here's what we were teaching them. This is our first year of four in Kenya. And the first thing we teach them is Bible study. And you notice on the left in those sheets, it says observation. Look at a passage, observe it, write down what you observe. Next, interpret what you've observed. Write down those interpretations. Thirdly, we would teach them how to apply it. That is to what the original author meant to the original audience and their application. And that's the Bible study that we're bringing forward. Here is our passing out the Swahili Bibles that uh, you all bought and that we got to them and for which they're very thankful. A little picture of their Bible. thanks here. Okay, ready? All together. Three, two, one. Asante Asana is thank you very much. And they were very grateful for your gift. Many of them not even having a Bible in their language. Imagine. And they're pastoring. We went and we spoke with various uh, uh, groups as we went on these trips that had different challenges. Catholicism, uh, Pentecostalism in both areas. Uh, the prosperity gospel in Africa rampant and destroying the true church. And we went head to head to bring these questions forward. Women who are teaching uh, in churches, who are preaching in churches, and to tell them that that's the wrong thing to do. Um, if you've been doing that for a long time, you can imagine that that might not be well received. And initially it wasn't. But as we continued to patiently talk and speak with them about what scripture says, to see their humble submission and their desire to obey God and his word. And because there is a critical role for women teaching in the church, we were excited to have women that we could also participate in the training, clearly indicating to them what the right role was to be. This is our time teaching in the, the slum area. Here you see Mike and I, and oftentimes we were answering questions. We did a lot of Q&A, and we would get right down to the root of these issues about what the sign gifts are, why tongues are no longer active in the church. Again, what the proper role of women was. And God used this in an amazing way, and he used you in an amazing way to send me. And I'm very thankful for that privilege Lord willing, I'll have an opportunity to do so again and will delight in that opportunity to be able to go in your stead and to encourage you further in that effort to recognize that God wants to use all of us. I, I never expected, again, I went to Africa 20 years ago and was sure that was going to be it. Well, I guess, you know, God's still got a little work to do in my life and that I might be able to help these people. And I'm very thankful for each of you in that role and excited to see what God will do in us and through us as a church, as we support other missionaries and as we carry forth the Great Commission, which is so desperately needed around this planet and, of course, right here at home in Boise, Idaho. And I pray that you're encouraged by all of those things. Pray with me as we close, won't you? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity that each of us have had to present what you are doing in our lives and in your church and through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we are overwhelmed to be used of you, and I know that I speak for Laura and Jenny, that it is unfathomable that you would consider placing us into such privileged positions. Lord, help us to recognize that, give us strength to continue in it. Help our church, Father, to recognize that we have a very important role, that missions is something that must happen right here at our doorstep and all the way around the world and that it happens in each of our lives first. So I pray, Father, that through these presentations, you would motivate the hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters. Father, that they would be further encouraged as they speak with Jenny and Laura after church, and that through all of this, Christ might be glorified. And we are so thankful for your amazing love for us and these privileges, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.